who still has the turkey coma happening? Huh? Anybody? Man, it's good to have you today. Thanks for coming out on the weekend after Thanksgiving. We never know what's going to happen that weekend, who's in town. But man, good crowd. Great to see you all here today, particularly our guests. We're thrilled that you're here, and uh, we've got a gift for you. So here's, here's how you get that. There's a little QR code right in the seat in front of you. Just take a picture of that with your phone, and then afterwards go out to Guest Point in the Commons area, and we have a gift for you to thank you for being with us today. You can give it to somebody for Christmas if you want. be your first gift that you get, uh, but we'd love to thank you for doing that. And then I also want to remind you that uh, Pathway's coming up. Up. It's our last one of the year, so it's a week from this coming Tuesday, uh, December 6th. So that's kind of the heart and soul of our church. So make sure that you're at Pathway and you work your way through the four points of that. We'd love to have you there. Make sure you register so we're ready for meal and uh, child care and all that kind of stuff. So that's good. Coming up next week, uh, a week from this Tuesday. So uh, here's the deal, man. Um, I'm... I'm reading through the Bible this week and preparing for what I'm going to share with you and studying some things so I can kind of find some, some stuff out there that's worthy of our attention. And I find a couple of ping pong balls that I want to show you today. And I probably got to explain a little bit what I mean uh, by ping pong balls from time to time, when I'm reading something and studying it in Scripture, it's something new. It's some kind of new, fresh thing that I'd never seen in the Word of God. And that's why, if you think about it, that's why you never stop reading this thing. Never stop studying it, because there are always new jewels there. And this happens to me a number of times. And so when I'm reading and studying, getting ready for a message, and I, I see something there, I get excited about it, and I can't wait to come and to preach it. And so if you've been here at Eastside, you know there's sometimes when I get a little bit too passionate, and I get fights because I find those things in Scripture. And there's been times when we're in worship. And I'm sitting over there with my lovely bride, and I'm watching Aquila and his team sing, and I'm thinking, get this song over with, man, I got something I want to talk about. And it's what you feel when you're sitting there going, get this sermon over with so I get out of here and go eat. So, so that happens to me from time to time, and, uh, and I get excited about that and want to preach it. And when I do, I overuse a term. I know I overuse it. And that is that I will say something like, now I want you to catch this or catch this. And everybody's, you know, made fun of me through the years for that. And one year uh, we were actually, it was our last Sunday when we lived in Illinois and served this wonderful church up there. And so they kind of had a farewell honor thing for us. And uh, at the very end of the day, uh, they asked me to come up on stage and they said, Dave, come on up on stage and we got something we want to give you. And I walked up there and I'm thinking, okay, you know, the Cadillac, you know, you're thinking all those things. And one of my buddies is up there, his name's Tom. And uh, Tom said, uh, Dave, we, we wanna give you something from our church. And he said, catch this. And everybody started laughing because I use that phrase all the time. And they'd given every one of those doggone people a ping pong ball and they all stood up and threw it at me. So I had, I had hundreds of ping pong balls coming at me. So. <laughs> 
So whenever I say catch this, and I know I do it, okay? It's not in my notes. I don't write it. I just think it, catch this. You might notice there's eyes, I catch this. And then I might duck like this. It's just instinct, okay, for a ping pong ball. But it happens when something comes up that I'd never seen, and it's game-changing stuff to me. And so what I want to share with you uh, today are two ping pong balls that I found out this week in my study. Now, the, these catch it moments are, are in connection to what we've been talking about for a month here at Eastside. And I wanna thank you for being the type of church that we could do what we've done for a month here. And we were up front four weekends ago when we said, we're gonna take the whole month of November and we're gonna talk about money. And we don't talk much about money in our church, we really don't. But every once in a while, you and I need to learn what God has to say about this because this is game-changing stuff for us. So we said that about a month ago. So we're gonna spend the whole month and y'all just kept coming, okay? You just kept coming knowing we're gonna talk about it. And so today, we're gonna kind of, we're gonna wrap it up and it's kind of the icing on the cake with these ping pong balls I'm gonna show you. And what we've done, gang, this month, let's just kind of, let's put this out on the, the, the clear air here. What we've done this month is we have led all of our teaching to the point where we are encouraging every person in this room. I want you to listen to that. Every person in this room, we are encouraging you to be obedient and faithful to the first fruit. And if you've been with us in our study, you know what the first fruit is. And that is live in a way where 10% of your income, the first 10% of your income, is brought to the storehouse of God, the church, to advance his cause around the world. And we are asking you to do that. And many people in this church are doing that. You've been a part of that. You've done that your whole life. You know why you do it. And there's other people that's new to you. And you're like, man, that's a, that's a little edgy for me to hear that. And we spent all month building that case. And now today we're gonna close it out. We're gonna, we're gonna come to the conclusion of it with some of the, I, I'm looking at kind of like an icing on the cake on this thing. And I'm gonna ask the question that probably a lot of us have and we're just not real sure how to answer or how to ask it or even who to ask it. And that is, why would I do that? Why would I do something like that? And somehow you gotta wrestle through that. If you're gonna be a part of what God is calling this church to be a part of, you say, man, man I gotta know why I'm doing it because that seems crazy to me. And there's probably some, you know, some reasons that we could say, okay, that's a reason and it's an obvious reason, but those aren't the ping pong balls I'm gonna talk about because we can all kind of come up with various reasons of why we ought to be faithful to the tithe. I mean, some people here would, would say, and you would be right, because God tells you to do it. That's, that's why you do it, because he told us to do it. Anybody remember when you was a little kid and uh, your mom and dad told you to do something and, and you yelled out like a snotty-nosed brat, why would I do it? And what, were your, what was the answer your mom and dad? Because I... Oh, so I'm not the only one, huh? Y'all were raised in the same home. Huh? And when you're a little kid, when you heard that, you hated it, didn't you? 
And you made these little commitments in your brain. When I grow up and I have kids and they ask me why, you know, I'm going to sit down with them and real gently, well, Johnny, I'm glad you asked me that. I'm going to tell you why so it'll help you later in life. And that's what we say, don't we? Then we grow up and we have those little rugrats and they say why. And what do we say to them? Because I said so. I usually threw on there, I brought you in the world, I can take you out of the world, okay? So I told you to do it, now do it. And, and so you can say, okay, that's why we do the first fruit. And, and that's true. But that, I mean, I don't know that that's a motivating factor. I really don't. We can say things like, well, it all belongs to God. We talked about that last week. And so I'm, I'm studying through that this week. And I know when I'm going to preach on it, I'm going to give the reason why you should do the first fruit. And I'm studying his word and what's in his word. And I know this stuff about, you know, obedience, just do it because he said it. I know it all belongs to, I, I know all that stuff, but there's nothing that's just, man, that's it. And, and then the doggone ping pong balls come. They're the catch it moments. And I wanna show you two. And both ping pong moments, both catch it, you know, don't miss this. Things that I'm gonna show you say the same thing. And these are the reasons why you should really consider the first fruit. Now, let me show you the first one. They're both really easy to see. Now, you can miss them, but they're easy to see when you see it. And the first one I wanna show you comes from the scripture that we've been working through this month from Proverbs chapter three, verses nine and 10. Let's go ahead and read it again. We've read it for three, four, five weeks now. Uh, let's read it one more time and I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you what I want you to say. Proverbs chapter three, starting in the ninth verse, it says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Now these first two lines right here, we spent three weeks on those first two lines, okay? Right there. And, and, and they all kind of built this, this understanding that God is calling his people to honor him with your heart, to give him weight and attention above everything else. And the way you do that is with your first fruit. The first 10% of your income given to the work of God. So that's the first two lines, spent three weeks on that. And then the 10th verse reads like this. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. So we took three weeks here, and I'm gonna use just today on this. Now why, why I'm gonna do that is because I'm gonna take all of this, and I'm really only going to focus on one word in the 10th verse. So let's put the 10th verse back up on the screen alone, and I want you to see that I highlighted the word then. And the rest of it, I've shaded it because that's not my point right now. I just want you to see the word then. Now, <laughs> I almost said catch this, so catch this, okay? Don't miss this, all right? So the whole ninth verse is all this information about the first fruit and here's what it is and here's how you do it. And then the 10th verse says, then. And you're like me, you've, you've read that, you have never thought anything about that at all. But I wanna help you see a ping pong ball here. And just stay with me for a couple minutes here. At Eastside, one of the things we try to do, no matter who's up here teaching, we try our very best 
to get down into the weeds and maybe reveal some things that many of us wouldn't catch just by reading the Bible. And so we've mentioned a detail to you a number of times that I want to say again, and I know some of us aren't interested in this at all, it doesn't matter, but you're going to see in a minute why it matters, is what we have in our Bibles is a translation of a foreign language, that the Old Testament, the first part of our Bibles, was written almost predominantly in the Hebrew language, and the New Testament, the second half, is written almost all in Greek. There's a little Aramaic in there, but most of it's Greek. And so when we're reading an English passage of Scripture here, there are times, and this is one of them, where it really helps to be able to get into the brain of the Proverbs author who actually wrote that in Hebrew and see what he meant in Hebrew because sometimes our English translations don't have any way to say it. And that happens right here. The word then does not exist in the Hebrew language when he wrote it. It's not there. There's something there, but it's only a letter. The closest that we have to that particular letter is a punctuation mark. That's all that is. And so the ninth verse presents this idea of the first fruit that many in this room would say, man, that is crazy stuff. 10%, just give it away and let God do what he wants. That is nuts, man. And he writes that and then he puts exclamation mark. It is one letter, one mark in the Hebrew language. It's not even a word. And it refers to, make sure you, you take note of this, it refers to something dealing with the mouth. Something is gonna come out of the voice, of the mouth, and that's what that exclamation point means whenever it's used, whenever it comes up. It's saying, somebody is about to say something. That's what that means in Hebrew. You ever been around a table and you're having a conversation with people? Maybe Thanksgiving it happened, everybody's sitting around talking about a topic or something, and there's somebody around the table who's not saying anything. They're totally silent, just listen to the whole thing, nobody's saying a word, and then that person starts to do this. <clears throat> and everybody gets quiet, don't they? Because by clearing their throat, they are saying, I'm about to voice something here. That word is an exclamation point. It's a, it's a letter. It is the clearing of the throat. That's what it is. And so he writes. This is what a first fruit is. This is what everybody ought to be doing, a first fruit. And then he goes, <clears throat> because he knows everybody is asking, why would I do that? <clears throat> I'm glad you ask. And then he gave the reason. Now look at it with the rest of it coming up. Because your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. 
And what the author is communicating there is something that you may have known was in the Bible. You may never have seen it with the clarity that we're expressing it today. And that is that when God's people are faithful to the first fruit, that God will respond in a positive way with return in your life. So I want you to see this in a box. I just put it as simple as I can. Our first fruits jumpstart God's return. So our first fruits are an investment. It's an investment that does something to God, something in heaven that triggers and jumpstarts his return. That is a ping pong ball. That's something that you gotta catch. And, and you might remember, well, Dave, you said there were two ping pong balls that say the same thing. So, so watch what we're gonna do here. We're in the Old Testament in the book of Proverbs, and now let's advance hundreds of years later. Let's go to the New Testament. And in the New Testament, chronologically, we are centuries later, and here's what's happening in the New Testament. If you ever, we ever wanted just a really good, simple way to understand the New Testament, let me, let me tell you to it really simple. So Jesus comes to the earth, he spends about 30 years here, he dies on a cross, they put him in a tomb. Three days later, God raises him from the dead. He spends 40 days walking around earth proving that he's alive, and then he ascends back into heaven, and before he goes back up into heaven, he says, I'm gonna come back, and I'm gonna get my church, my people, and I'm gonna take them to heaven forever and ever and ever and ever. But before I do that, before I come back, I want you to advance the cause of God in the world. Do everything you can. So once he ascends into heaven, the job of the church is now to advance his cause. That's why we can never give up. We can't give up even though the world seems to have lost its mind and every moral right in America is being obliterated. The church cannot ever give up. We're the only hope it has. And so what we have in the New Testament is about the first 30 to 40 years of God's people pushing the agenda of God in the world. That's what the New Testament is. They were doing God's work until Jesus comes back. Same thing you and I are doing. Now, what we know in the first 30 to 40 years that one of the things they did to advance the cause of God, this is very important, Okay, very important. I want to say catch this so bad, but I called myself out on it. Very important. One of the things they did is they helped people who were poor. They helped people who were having struggling times. And so the Christians would raise money. They would raise resources. They would take donations and they would help people who were on the edge and life was really in a bad time for them. That's one way they advanced the cause of God's love in their community. Now, during the New Testament, and much of our New Testament was written for this purpose, that during that period of time, in the city of Jerusalem and the surrounding areas of Jerusalem, there were incredible times of famine. 
Historically, you can read about first century famines in Asia Minor, and it's incredible what those people went through. And so we know in the New Testament that there were many, many Christians around Jerusalem who were going without food, they were starving, they were dying, and churches all over began to raise money and to raise donations that they would take to Jerusalem to help the Christians there. That is part of the New Testament. Now, one of the people who did that was the Apostle Paul, and he would go to city to city and church to church and say, hey, I'm going to head over to Jerusalem, I'm going to help these people out, and I'm going to receive donations. And one of the places he did it was a city called Corinth. Don't lose me. He went to the city of Corinth, met with the church there, just as if he came right here. And he said, these people are our brothers and sisters. They're in Jerusalem. We're going to help them out. I'll take everything you have that I can take to them. Now, here's the thing. Jerusalem was 800 miles away, 800 miles away. Those were people they would never see, never meet in all of their life. And Paul said, come on, man, I wanna get everything you got, everything you can give, and I'm gonna go help those people. You know as well as I do, let's just be honest about it, there were people in Corinth who thought, why would I do that? I don't even know those people. I will never meet those people. I'm struggling myself. Why am I gonna do that? And here's the reality. There are folks who at times may wonder that about us. Because you know there's been times as a church where we stood up and we said, you guys heard about the hurricane and you saw what it did on the coast and you've, you've seen the images and we're gonna help them. Or we may have stood up here and said, you, you saw the floods in eastern Kentucky, we're gonna do something to help them. Last week, we had 11 people from our church who gave up their whole week, gave it, gave it up, took vacation from their jobs right in the heart of holiday seasons and went to a poverty-stricken area in the Dominican Republic to help people that they would have otherwise never, ever, ever, ever met in all their life. And that took a lot of money. And so there's times when the church is trying to help places and we're, we're asked to give to that. And you say, well, why would I do that, Really? I mean, it's fine, but why am I going to do that? And that was the question being asked in Corinth. It was the same thing happening in Proverbs 3 when the author talked about this crazy idea of the first fruit. And they said, why would we ever do that? And he said, because when you do, man, it unleashes the return of God. And now we go to the New Testament, the book of Corinthians. And they're asking the question. And so Paul answers it. Look how he answers it in the ninth chapter of his second letter. Remember this. He's talked in the eighth chapter and the ninth chapter about the donation. And then in the sixth verse, he says, remember this. And the rest of this is just uh, shaded for a reason because I want you to just look at this. And remember, this was written in the Greek language. And sometimes the Greeks switch things around in the beautiful way they wrote prose and different things, and we do the best we can to interpret it. But let me tell you what this was in the actual words of Paul when he wrote it with his hand. This is what he wrote. It was only one word there. It is the word this. 
Now, you Facebook people know what I'm talking about. Because if you're a social media person, there's times when you, you see a picture or you see some kind of saying or something and you put it on your page and you post it and what do you write right before it? Because you want everybody to see it. You just use one word, this. And that's what Paul did. You might not have known this. That's the first Facebook post ever in the history of humanity, right there, this. And see what he's doing is he's talking to a group of people who he's asking them to do something that other people would think, that is crazy, why would you do that? And he goes, <clears throat> this. Now highlight the rest of it. Because whoever sows sparingly, meaning you're just gonna keep it to yourself, will reap sparingly. But whoever sows generously will also reap generously. It's the same point. It happened in the Old Testament, it happens in the New Testament, and the point comes down to this truth again. Look at it again. First fruits will jumpstart God's return. You want God to return into your life? You want him to do that? Then it's jump-started. It's fueled by your generosity. And without your generosity, it is not jump-started and it's not fueled. So do you want God returning blessing in your life? Then that's how that happens. Now, that's interesting because the reality is, is that the only reason anybody would do that is because you know, you understand it, and maybe other people don't know it about the return. That's why you do that. I remember in 1996, uh, the Federal Reserve came out with a new $20 bill. And if you're as old as the hills like I am, you'll remember the first time you saw the new $20 bill. It looked like Andrew Jackson's head had exploded. And it was over the whole thing, and it looked like Monopoly money. Okay, does anybody remember that? And you got the first one, you thought, man, does this work? Is this real? And I remember when I got one of those, uh, I had one of my, my sons with me, and he was just a little guy then, and I thought I'd play a trick with him. I said, look at that. He what is that? I got that out of the Monopoly box. I said, let's try something. So we were at the gas station. I said, I'm going to go in there and see if I can get some gas with this Monopoly. He goes, no, you're not. Come on, let's go. Don't say a word. So we're walking up there, and I go up into the, the station. And I say, man, I have $20 on pump number three, and I handed her the bill. Nowadays, you give $20 on pump number three, you open up pump three, it goes, and it's gone. But back in that day, you got something out of it, okay? So I said, $20 on pump number three. And she said, thank you. She takes $20 and we're walking out. And my son's walking going, I can't believe you're doing this. Because I knew something he didn't know, right? Why does anybody give the first fruit? Because you know something they don't know. They don't know that the first fruit jump starts the return of God. Now, I'd like you to just understand, and I'll, I'll, be, I'll be brief with this, I'd like you to understand that that concept, I've called it those two ping pong balls, they are flooded in this thing. And we don't have the time at all to start looking at all the places where God throws this incentive out there. I just wanna tease you, with, I just want you to read just a few of them with me. 
so you know I'm just not making it up. Look at this one from the book of Proverbs. One man gives freely and yet gains even more. And another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. That is an unbelievable truth. It's unbelievable how many times that's true. Look at this one from the book of Malachi. God says, test me. He's talking about the first fruit. He said, test me in this, okay? Jump off the ledge, believe me, try it, is what he's saying. You just test me. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. And he then went on to say this, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines which are the weeds will not cast their fruit. Anybody here ever have a wash machine that's lasted for 25 years? And you wonder why? Because God not only can provide provision, he can provide protection. Fascinating truth that the first fruits generate, jumpstart God's return. Let me show you one more. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, poured out into your lap. And I love the summary of it at the end of it. For with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. Whatever you do, God says, I'll do. Whatever you do is what I'll do. Now, I, I doubt if this means anything. In my brain, it kind of stood out to me this week. That particular verse, John 6, 38, has uh, 36 words in it in the English language. Seven of them are something we do, and 29 of them are what God does in response. So here, here's the deal. The Bible teaches that our first fruits are an investment that generate and jumpstart God's return into our life. And I'm gonna ask you, I'm gonna ask you to believe that and to try it. And I know it's right before Christmas. We're entering the most expensive month of the year. And I, I know that and we purposely did this study before that because I want to challenge you to put God even before Christmas financially. Because he's the first fruit, not the second fruit. Now, I wanna, I wanna make this suggestion, and this might be another ping pong ball, but I, I want you to hear this. I don't believe that we should ever give offerings to God and his church for the purpose of getting something back in return. I don't believe that should ever be your motive, ever. That I'm gonna do the tithe, I'm gonna do the first fruit, I'm gonna give what I can to further the kingdom of God because I know, baby, it's coming back to me someday. That ought to never, ever, ever be your motive. There are things way bigger and way more important than that that are good reasons of why we ought to be about the first fruit and those that, that, that ought not be your first, your, your, that shouldn't be the drive. But hear me, hear me. God mentions it so many times that if you don't pay attention to it, you're a fool. Because he gives that incentive in his word. I'd like you to walk out with just a few warnings, a few 
careful understandings because we can kind of misunderstanding this stuff sometimes. Let me throw three of them to you real quick and we're about done. I, I want you to be careful with this misunderstanding. The return always happens. That's a misunderstanding. My experience is that the return is more rare than common. And the reason I believe it's that way because God is always testing motives, always testing motives. So don't think that it's gonna happen every time it happens because God made you test your motive. Check out this misunderstanding. The return is always financial. And some people think, okay, that's how God's gonna bless me. God can bless us in so many more ways than money. Health and relationships and purpose in life and various aspects of living life good. If we think the only thing God's got going to give to us is money, man, he is way bigger than that. And let me show you this one. Look at this misunderstanding that the return is always for you. I would suggest that it's seldom for you. In fact, when you go to the Corinthian example and you find where Paul's talking about, come on, man, you gotta, you gotta sow generously and the return is gonna be generous and God's gonna do exactly what you, you do. He's gonna follow your suit. And, and he gets toward the end of it and he says, and here's why God's gonna do it for you. Here's why God's gonna return it to you. And he said, so that you can keep on being generous. Not so that, hey, maybe I got me a better car now, or better house, or I'm gonna have a lot more things. That's never the motive. The motive is that God creates us to be generous. Now, let me throw a story at you and we'll walk out of here, okay? We'll be done. Um, I'm gonna tell you um, in a, as honest as I can be with you, because I know when we're talking about this this month, this is sensitive, I know that. It's awkward, uncomfortable for some. So I'm gonna tell you why your preacher gives. I'm gonna tell you why your preacher is a person that gives the first fruit. My wife and I have done that from the day we were married. And we have never, ever stopped giving the first fruit to God. I'm gonna tell you why. And my mom taught it to me. And doggone moms have something to say, don't they? Now some of you are at the point of life where um, in my personal story, I'm kind of past that point of life, and some of y'all are getting there, and I'm looking out and I'm seeing some faces that you're there, and some of you don't know what I'm talking about. Listen, because you're gonna be there. But you arrive at this point in life where now you start being the caregiver of your parents. And nobody told you about that, okay? Or you wouldn't have signed up for that one, okay? But you hit the point where now they need me. And so when my folks went through that, uh, I have a sister and I have a brother. My sister at that time lived in Phoenix and my brother lives in Evansville. And of course I live here and my folks lived up in Illinois. So nobody was with our folks at all. And so because my sister and my brother and myself get along well, you know, we got a normal, uh, fairly functioning family, uh, we kind of became intentional about it. Said, okay, let's divide up some tasks that we're gonna do. And early on, because my sis couldn't be there physically, she agreed to do what I think was the hardest job throughout the whole process. She said, I'll call them every day on the phone. I will call them every single day on the phone. That would have put me in the insane, in the insane asylum, okay? I wouldn't have been able to handle those conversations. And she called every single day. So if you ever go through that, find somebody in your family that you like the least and give them that job, okay? 
So that's what my sis did. And my brother and I said, you know, they're getting to the point where they kind of need our physical help. And so we just took a month at a time. And if this was my month, I picked a weekend and I went there for the weekend. Whatever you need, work around the house, run air, whatever you need. You got me two, three days. And, uh, and so my brother and I did that. So one, one of those weekends, it was mine. And I was leaving. I'd been there two, three days, did all kinds of stuff for him. And uh, I was leaving. I'm, I'm walking out of the house. And I give them their hugs, you know, and it's, you know, bye, see you next time. And, and I'm out of here. Call me if you need me. And I, I grab the front door, and I'm opening the door. And my mom, who's sitting in her chair, by the way, <laughs> have you ever noticed that old people get their chair? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Huh? It's their chair, okay? So if you got their, your chair in your house, it's your chair, you, you gotta have, you know, funeral home on speed dial too, cause that's, get, you're getting there, okay? So she's in her chair. I thought that about that a few times myself, cause I kinda got my place, you know, and when I think, oh man, I get up and go sit somewhere else in the room for a while. So she says in her chair, David. And she's the only person ever in all my life called me my full name, David. Everybody calls me Dave. David. I turned around and looked at her, and she said, and she mouthed it, thank you. And those two words rocked me. And this is what I said to her. Thank you. Are you kidding me, Mom? Thank you. I'm guilt-ridden that I'm not here every day. And I'm embarrassed that I give you two, three days every other month. Because I know everything all those years that you did for me. And this is the least that I can do. And so when my first fruit is taken to the storehouse of God's church for God's leaders to use it to advance the kingdom of God's cause, I do it because I know everything that he's done for me. And this is the least I got. Father, I wanna thank you for a church like what we have here. Maybe we'll know when we get to heaven, but things and stuff has such a hold on us. And so it makes it uncomfortable when we hear about the prospect of letting go some of it. Particularly the first part of it. Because then we have to trust that there's enough left over to take care of us. So I want to thank you for a church that has engaged in that study for months now. And there's not a lot of churches to do that. This family loves you, Lord. We are here because we love you. And we are grateful 
that your caring arms are around us and you're way better to us than we ever are to you. I pray that today in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.